call Old Testament Godly. And if you haven't been with us that this whole time, that's all right. That's no problem. Here's the idea of what we've been studying. The Old Testament is full of men and women who have done extraordinary things. They've done extraordinary things because they've trusted in God's power. And, and so I'll give you, a, you know, a few examples. We started by talking about this guy named Abraham. And God made this really simple request of Abraham. All he said was, leave everything you know behind you. Leave your family, your homeland, your country, your relatives. Leave everything and go someplace that I'm going to show you later. And Abraham went, yeah, all right, I'll do that. He trusted in God's power. And last week, we looked at a man named Moses. And and again, God made this really simple request of Moses. He said, I want you to go to the most powerful nation on the planet, and I want you to stand before their king and say, let my people go. No problem there, right? Of course, Moses had an objection or two, but ultimately what he said is, all right, God, that's what you want from me. I'm going to trust you. There are people all over the Old Testament that did incredible things because they trusted in God's power. Today, today I want to look at a more unwilling servant, if you will. And to get our minds thinking in the right direction, I want to play a little game. I want to talk about some Bible characters, and then I want you to tell me what you associate with that person immediately. Whatever comes to your mind whenever I say this person's name. So we'll warm up with an easy one here. Ready? Adam. Eve, very good. Noah. Ark, very good. All right. Again, we started easy. Let's do do a harder one. Moses. Burning bush. I'll take burning bush. Acceptable answers also would have included parting of the Red Sea, uh, Aaron, and ten plagues. But yeah, I'll take burning bush. Um, If we're playing... If we're playing family feud style, that's the top answer. So well done, Chris. Okay? Uh, Let's get even harder. Amram. Yeah, I'll take a Jacobed right there. This, yeah, and everybody else is going, who? And I don't even know, so don't worry, all right? Uh, last one, Jonah. Fish? Big fish? Whale? Yeah, I'm going to be honest with you, I probably would have said that too. I probably would have said that too until I started studying for this sermon. And I believe firmly now that this sermon that this book isn't about Jonah's time in a fish. I believe that this book is about Jonah's interaction with God. See, it's Jonah and God, not Jonah and fish. You know how many times the fish is spoken of in this book? Give it a guess. How many times do you think the fish comes up in the book of Jonah? One time? Two? Can I get two? Anybody two? Three? Roger, why don't you come on up here and help us? Three, sold. The fish comes up three times in the book of Jonah. Roger, how many times do you think the fish comes up? Or uh, how many times do you think God comes up? Say more than that. (laughs) God comes up 40 times in the book of Jonah. See, this fish is this sideline character that we like to emphasize. He shows up three times. God is spoken of 40 times in this book. He is the driving force behind everything that happens in the book of Jonah. And too often people take issue with this book. Too often people take issue with the book of Jonah because the idea of a man living inside of a fish for three days is, well, 
hard to swallow. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> you know what else is hard to swallow? The story of creation. You know what else is hard to swallow? The story of my redemption. See, when people have trouble with the book of Jonah, it's not that they make a fish too big, it's that they make our God too small. So here's where we start. You got any fish that are too big? You got any fish that are too big in your life right now? If you do, I hope this sermon serves as an encouragement to you. Jonah, chapter 1, starting in verse 1. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and he went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this? Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he'll pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are, from, are you from? And what is your nationality? Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the land. The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Why did you do it, they groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to stop the storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to the land, but the stormy sea was too violent for them and they couldn't make it. Then they cried out to the Lord, to Jonah's God, Oh Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin and don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh Lord, you've sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. I want to start with a key phrase here as we uh, look at this story of Jonah. Following God doesn't always take you where you want to go, but it always puts you where you need to be. Okay? Following God doesn't always take you where you want to go, but it always puts you where you need to be. Now, of course, 
That's not the only option. If we have the option to follow God, we also have the option to what? Somebody say, not follow God. If we have the option to follow God, we also have the option to not follow God. In fact, if we take that even a step further, if we emphasize that, if we have the option to follow God, we also have the option to run from God. Kind of like our friend Jonah did. Here's the truth about running from God, though. Running from God, running from God doesn't take you where you want to go or put you where you need to be. See the difference there? Following God doesn't always take you where you want to go, but it always puts you where you need to be. Running from God doesn't take you where you want to go or put you where you need to be. With that in mind, let's dig into the text. And right off the bat, right off the bat as we look at the book of Jonah, or the, chapter, the first chapter of Jonah, I want to look at these first five words. Jonah starts with these words, the word of the Lord. Word of the Lord, this is a powerful phrase. This is designed to get the reader's attention. Because when the word of the Lord comes, something big happens. You know who else the word of the Lord came to? Noah. He built an ark. You know who else the word of the Lord came to? Abraham, and he became the father of many nations. You know who else the word of the Lord came to? Moses, and he led an exodus. And the word of the Lord came mightily to Isaiah and Jeremiah, and they prophesied, and the word of the Lord has come to Jonah. And for a Hebrew, the effect of reading these five words is striking. It'd be similar to us if we were sitting in a courtroom and a judge struck his gavel. All of a sudden, there's no other sound except for what's about to come out of the judge's mouth. The word of the Lord. What's going to come next? What's he about to say? What is God going to ask? What is God going to declare? The word of the Lord indicates authority. It indicates authority. So the word of the Lord comes to Jonah. And let's talk about Jonah for just a minute here. The very first thing we learn about Jonah is that he's the son of Amittai. You know why this is so significant? This is amazing. You know why, you know why uh, they include Amittai in there? You know what Amittai did? I don't either. We, we know that we're told that he is the son of Amittai for a really simple reason. To just remind us that we're talking about a real person. You got a dad? Jonah's got a dad too. His name's Amittai. We don't know what Amittai did. We don't know very much about Amittai at all. I'm sure he was a good, godly man, but it's just reminding us that we're talking about a real person who experienced the extraordinary power of God. So that's what we know about Jonah. He's the son of Amittai. But aside from that, Jonah, I don't know if you knew this or not, Jonah, he was a popular guy. He was a really popular prophet. He'd have kind of been like the Billy Graham of the 8th century prophets. He was well-liked. You know why he was well-liked? Because before he was told to give this prophecy, to go to Nineveh and tell the people to repent, he was told another prophecy. This is from 2 Kings chapter 14 and verse 25. 
It says, he was the one, Jonah, who restored the boundaries of Israel from Lebo Hamath to the Dead Sea in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath-Hefer. Jonah was a prophet who played a major role in restoring the land of the northern kingdom of Israel. So here's his message in 2 Kings. This is just in a nutshell. Ready? Here's what Jonah is charged with saying. We are going to restore this land to its previous glory and God will be with us. Just by show of hands, do you think that makes him popular? Raise your hand if you think that makes him popular. Raise your hand if you think that makes him unpopular. Raise your hand if you're thinking about the fellowship meal. This message, we're going to restore this land to its previous glory and God will be with us, makes him incredibly popular. Right? He is the best preacher in all of Israel, in all of the northern kingdom, in all of the land where Hebrew people worship God. He is the man. God has given Jonah a popular message. And now God is giving Jonah an unpopular message. He says, go preach against the Ninevites. Tell them that they are not doing what I require. Tell them that they need to repent. Go preach against the Ninevites. Let's talk about Nineveh. Nineveh was a major city in the nation of Assyria and in the ancient world in general. Assyria, they had a nasty reputation as an immoral and idolatrous people. But more so, more than that, they were immoral and they were idolatrous, but more than that, they had a reputation as a ruthless, warring people. And this reputation was amplified. It was magnified a hundredfold in Nineveh, one of the largest cities in the land, and it was from time to time the capital of the nation. And this is where Jonah is supposed to go and preach. And really quickly, concerns start to pop up in Jonah's mind. At the top of the list, right, it, it seems real, real simple to think that at the top of the list, Jonah might think, well, okay, if I go to Nineveh and I preach against these people and they don't like it, they're going to find some very creative way to torture me to death. The Assyrians had a reputation for that. That's what they were known for. They were ruthless people. They tortured their enemies and adversaries so that way other nations would know we're not going to mess with them. Because if we lose, that's what will happen to us. Jonah's going, I have no desire to be creatively tortured as propaganda. Certainly would pop into a fellow's mind if he was told to go to Nineveh. A lot of people think that's the primary reason that Jonah doesn't want to go. The fact is that Jonah, he probably found it more distasteful than he did dangerous. See, Jonah was more concerned with losing his reputation than he was with losing his life. And maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, wait a minute, isn't Jonah supposed to preach against Nineveh? <laughs> He's supposed to say, God is angry with you. Be terrified. Be terrified because God is angry and he's going to destroy you. Isn't that the message Jonah's supposed to preach? Yeah, but Jonah knew what God meant. Jonah knew that God wanted to give the people of Nineveh an opportunity to repent. And Jonah doesn't want the people of Nineveh to repent. 
He didn't want him to. He wants God to go Sodom and Gomorrah on him. If you're not convinced by this, by the way, this isn't me. Just This isn't my commentary. This is from the book of Jonah. This is Jonah chapter 4, verse 2. Jonah prays to the Lord. He says, listen to this. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is why I tried to forestall this by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew, I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who's relentless, who relents from sending calamity. I knew this was going to happen, God. I knew they were going to hear the message of, of what you wanted me to tell them, and I knew they were going to repent, and you weren't going to destroy them. I knew this was going to happen. That's why I didn't want to do it. <coughs> Jonah knew that God wanted to spare the Ninevites. And Jonah didn't want them to be spared. So instead of saying, yes, Lord, <coughs> instead of saying, yes, Lord, Jonah said, I'm not going to preach to these pagans. I'm not going to preach to these pagans. And instead of going to Nineveh, Jonah went down to the port town of Joppa, and he got in a boat and headed for Tarshish. Now, Jonah's a prophet. He knows what the Psalms say. He knows that it's impossible to escape from the presence of God. He knows that. He knows it's impossible to escape from the presence of God. He knows that the eyes of the Lord are everywhere. Jonah is not trying to escape the presence of God. He's trying to escape the will of God. He's trying to escape the will of God. Jonah knows what God wants him to do. He just doesn't want to do it. And so he runs. But running from God doesn't put you where you want to be or where you need to be. Jonah's a pretty good example of this. And at this point in history, where Jonah, Jonah's trying to get to, he goes to Joppa and gets on a boat for Tarshish. At this point in history, Tarshish is the edge of the world. I mean, it is absolutely as far as you can get from Nineveh. So not only does Jonah set sail for Tarshish, the edge of the world, he does something very unique he goes out on a boat on the Mediterranean Sea. That may not seem like anything crazy to you, but in the 8th century B.C., especially in Hebrew culture, the sea was an evil place. This is where all of the evil in the world dwelt. It had its home. In fact, this is staggering to me. If we look at the entire Old Testament, Jonah is the only person that's recorded as traveling on the Mediterranean Sea. Some of you who are smarter than me, think about that for longer. But what you're going to find is that Jonah is the only person in the entire Old Testament who's recorded as traveling on the Mediterranean Sea. So why would Jonah go to the other end of the world across an evil sea? Because he was running from God. Not only did it put him where he didn't need to be, it absolutely put him where he didn't want to be. And this happens a lot. Instead of telling the truth and having it be uncomfortable, we lie and we build a house of cards that we spend all of our time maintaining. We didn't want to be there, but we were running from something. Jonah didn't intend to get on a boat in the Mediterranean, but he was running from the will of God. So here's my question. 
What's your Nineveh? Where are you running from? I don't know what your Nineveh is, but you do. And so I want to invite you to, to stop running, to turn around and stand and face it today. And here's my next question. Here's my next question and my next challenge. What's your Tarshish? If you know where Nineveh is, if you know where God's calling you, if you know what you are supposed to be doing, what you are should be doing, and you're running from it, what's your Tarshish? Where do you go when you run from God? Maybe it's a specific stool at a specific bar. Maybe it's extra hours at the office. Maybe it's Facebook. Maybe it's getting cynical with yourself. Maybe it's finding a group of people to get cynical with. I don't know what your Nineveh is, and I don't know what your Tarshish is. But it's important that you know where it is so that as you begin to travel there, you can get off the boat. So Jonah gets in a boat. He's heading for Tarshish, for the place he's going as he runs from God. And as he's running, a violent storm kicks up. And this is an uncommon storm. We know it's uncommon because of the reaction of the sailors. These are seasoned, experienced sailors. And seasoned, experienced sailors, sometimes they know that sometimes a storm is going to strike up. They know that sometimes the, the weather on the open sea, on the Mediterranean, is going to be just brutal. Here's what they don't do. They don't begin to scream and cry and cry out to the gods, why is this happening? That's what they don't do. They don't start throwing cargo overboard to lighten the ship. There's something different about this storm. And oddly enough, Jonah sleeps all the way through it. It kind of reminds me of how Jesus slept through a storm. Mark chapter 4, there was a big storm that came up on the sea as they were crossing and the disciples were fearing for their lives and Jesus was asleep in the hall and they go down to get him and they say, don't you care that we're perishing? Very similar story to what's happening with Jonah. I just want to make a quick point from this and we'll move on. Jesus was fully obedient to the will of God. Jonah was completely disobedient to the will of God. We're going to have storms in our lives, whether we're obedient or disobedient. The difference is whether or not we trust God to get us through or run from God in that process. Well, the sailors, they cast lots. They cast lots to figure out that it was Jonah that was responsible for this terrible storm. And so they sit him down in the interrogation room, right? Double-sided glass. Okay? The lead detective's on the other side. He can see, but they can't see him. Spotlight's shining bright on him, and they say, what do you do? Where are you from? Who are your people? What God do you worship? What are you doing here? Where are you going? Can I see your passport? How long are you going to be in the country? What's the purpose of your visit? Tell us. Who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? From what people are you? And I love verse 9. Jonah answers, I'm a Hebrew. He says, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. That'll preach. Anybody else feel like that's the start of a good sermon right there? But more than good preaching, I love the irony here. I want you to think about what set this whole thing in motion. Jonah says to God, he says, I'm not going to preach to pagans. What's he doing right now? He's preaching to pagans. 
Not only is Jonah talking to pagans about God, but the men believe what Jonah's saying. And so they ask Jonah, what do we got to do? And here Jonah has an opportunity to say, if you take me back to shore and send me on my way, this storm will clear up like that. Water's going to calm down immediately. But Jonah doesn't do that. What does Jonah say instead? He says, throw me overboard. He's so opposed to the idea of going to Nineveh. He's so opposed to the possibility of Nineveh repenting that he'd rather die than preach to him. And here's what Jonah doesn't realize. This wasn't just about Nineveh. God wanted him. If God wanted Nineveh preached to, he could have sent any number of the 8th century prophets. There's more than a few of them. God had work to do on Jonah's heart too. Jonah had some lessons to learn and he was sitting in God's classroom. But Jonah wasn't listening yet. Instead, he kept running from God and he found himself getting lower and lower and lower. You probably didn't notice this, but throughout the first chapter of the book of Jonah, there's this progression that Jonah gets lower and lower and lower. And let me, let me show you. He goes down to Joppa, and he gets on a boat. Then he goes down into the hull. Then he lies down, and finally he is thrown down into the water. And in the same way that Jonah is getting physically lower and lower, Jonah is getting spiritually lower and lower as he tries to run from God. Now, I don't know how long you've been running. I don't know what you're running from. I don't know where you're running to. I don't know what your Nineveh is. I don't know what your Tarshish is. But I do know that if you want to stop running, you can today. I don't know how far down you've gotten as you've continued to run from God. I don't know if you still feel like you can stand on your own or if the weight of the world is just bearing down on you and your goal for life is to just make it through today. I don't know how long you've been running, how hard you've been running, I don't know how tired you are, but I know you can stop today. You have the opportunity to stop running today, to stop running from God and from his will. So if you're ready to address your Nineveh and name Jesus Christ as your Lord, I want to invite you to come forward and do that. We're going to be ready to stand and sing today and maybe... Maybe you can come forward and walk towards God instead of run away from him.